I want to talk to you about today may be the most important subject I could ever talk to you about. And yet it's not an easy subject. It, uh, it is uh, a portion of Scripture that is really very soul-searching. Um, let me begin by asking you a question. Perhaps this sounds like you. It certainly sounds like me. Is there a conflict inside, a conflict in your soul? Do you have a great heart desire to please God? And when you attempt to do so and do what is right and good, seems like not only don't you do it, but you do just the opposite thing. Ever struggle with that? I have. When I was a little boy, about eight years of age, my folks started attending church, and our family became Christian and started following Christ. And so I really loved going to Sunday school and church, and I started memorizing Scripture. And then I learned the Ten Commandments, and like a faithful little Sunday school boy, I resolved that, boy, I'm going to obey those commands. But I found that some of them were quite demanding. I suppose I thought I loved the Lord my God with all my heart. I, I didn't have any little statues that I bowed down to. In fact, I went to Sunday school for 11 years in a row without missing a Sunday. Well, I guess I did the Sabbath part of that. And when it was convenient, I obeyed my parents. And what they don't know won't hurt them. <clears throat> and occasionally I, I told a lie. It was never a vicious lie, but it was just enough to make life work in my favor. And though I didn't steal candy and cookies, my friend Jerry did, and I gladly participated in eating the candy and cookies. As I got a little older... I realized that those Ten Commandments that were designed not to give me a life, but to point out to me what a sinner I am. And that's the purpose of God's law. Point out to us our great need, and our great need is for a Savior. In the passage we're going to speak from this morning, it describes the struggle of perhaps one of the greatest missionaries the world's ever known, the Apostle Paul. And he talks about how his heart so desired to please God. That was the intention of his heart. But he found in himself another law, another principle of life, and he calls it the law of sin and death. Uh, And it's not something you chose. It's something that you were born with. Just as you have received your genetics from your parents of birth, you have received your spiritual genetics from our first great father, Adam, who transgressed God's one commandment and sin passed on to the whole race. And the Bible says that the natural man receives not the things of God. He does not discern the things of God 
and that in your flesh, in our flesh, we cannot please him. And that's our circumstance. Now, <clears throat> I would say for me, and this is an honest confession, that most of the battle with the flesh has been in my head. And, uh, but every now and then, it works its way outwardly. Two issues that have been a struggle for me throughout life. One was anger. Now, I don't know how I became such an angry boy and an angry young man, an angry pastor, an angry church leader. In fact, I found myself preaching from portions of Scripture that just made people feel bad. <laughs> and why did I do that? I did it because I was angry inside. I was kind of mad at the people because they weren't living up to the standards that I thought they should. And because I know the Bible well, I know where all those portions are that can just beat you up. So instead of encouraging in the faith, I'm talking down to you. But amazingly, I found people enjoy that. <laughs> I don't know why they like to go to church and get beat up. <laughs> Damn good sermon today, Pastor, as one guy said to me. And I just beat him up. He said, I love it when you do that. In fact, uh, now that I'm older, I'm doing a little bit better, and I'll tell you why in a few minutes. But about the time you think that you've got that old nature under control, it just slips out. So I'm on a sacred mission for the sanctuary. I'm going to Home Depot, and I'm going to buy some materials to build some props for the Christmas pageant about four years ago. And when I walk into the parking lot, I find a brand new cart. You know, the one you can put four by eight sheets of plywood or drywall, and they stand up there. And I'm thinking, boy, the wheels work on this and everything. I'm, I'm, I really like this cart. <laughs> so I pull up to the stack of uh, quarter-inch plywood. And I need about four or five sheets of that. And I put the first sheet in my cart. I turn to get the other sheet. And I catch out of the corner of my eye, my cart's leaving. And I see a man walking off my cart. So I'm, I'm just thinking he made a mistake. So I, hey, 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 that, that, that's mine. He said, it isn't either, it's mine. I said, well, why do you say that? He says, it's brand new. And I brought a brand new cart in here. And I said, sir, I, I assure you, I didn't take your cart. Then I looked over across the aisle, and there was a sheet of veneer, four by eight sheet of veneer, leaning up against the wall. What I think happened was somebody did take his cart. And put that uh, material up against the wall. And so he just raved on and on and on. And, you know, I have all these thoughts inside, like murder. <laughs> <laughs> and so I just bark at him. Take the damn card. I don't care. <laughs> I'll go get another one. <laughs> and then the shame and humiliation. Here I am, an old, old man. Guy could have punched me out. <laughs> had me for lunch. <laughs> but it just comes out, doesn't it? I'm not going to fight with my wife anymore. I'm going to have kind words for people. 
I'm not going to think those lustful, awful thoughts that run through my head anymore. But my resolve just won't cut it. Well, I want you to know we're not alone. And so if you have your Bible with us, with you, and it'll be on the screen, we're going to take our text from Romans, the seventh chapter, and we're going to spend time in the last four verses of seven, and then we're going to come to the first four verses of the eighth chapter. Now, when you read your English Bibles, uh, most of the translations have chapter and verse division in there. And so it, it's, it helps us to locate different portions of the Scripture. But if you were holding in your hand a Greek New Testament, you would not see that. It was just one continuous letter. And so when we read it, uh, sometimes the chain of thought is broken. And really, in order to understand the first four ver- last four verses of the seventh chapter, we really need to have the first four verses of the eighth chapter. So uh, let me just read uh, the first, uh, the uh, verse twenty-one through twenty-five of chapter seven. Paul writes, and he says, "So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand." For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my member another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. When we're born from above, we receive a new nature. We are born again, as the Scripture says. We are born naturally, but in Christ we are born spiritually. And we receive a new dynamic, a new nature within, and truly it is a spiritual birth. And then as we grow physically and mature physically, so we grow spiritually and mature uh, mature spiritually. It's a process, but we have been born from above. And with that comes holy desire. Often people have said to me, uh, I, I, I just don't live the way I should. And I'll say, well, how should you live? And so they'll recite to me how Christians are supposed to behave. And I'll say to them, well, well where did you get the want? There are a whole lot of people who don't want to live for God. They don't have a holy desire, but you do may suggest that you've been born from above because you have holy desire. That was Paul's case, you know, the drama of his conversion, how he persecuted the church. He hated Christ. He hated the church. And then he was radicalized, and God spun him around, and he became perhaps the greatest missionary the church has ever known. He was born from above, and he had holy desire, but he struggled. 
And this is a struggle in his life. This uh, portion of scripture is very important to me. I discovered it uh, was my junior year in college. And uh, I started preaching about that time. And this was the sermon I would preach wherever I went was from this text. Because it fit my life so much. That struggle that was going on inside of me. And I needed help. I really needed God's help because I felt like such a phony in so many ways. I'd look at God's word, and that's just not where my life was. So when I look at this, I I sense this, that there's something in me that wants to be unleashed from the law of sin and death. And I think about Barry, my my daughter's Yorkie. Barry's quite a little athlete. Uh, he's about seven, eight years old now. Barry is trained to the leash. But if you take him out to an open place and take the leash off, he runs and romps and chases and spins around. He is just a happy dog because he's freed from the leash. God has designed you. He's designed me to be freed from the leash, freed from the law. But that hasn't happened in the narrative so far. In fact, Paul pours out his complaint. And so the first point I want you to have and to take away is that there's a heart desire to be released from the peril of the law of sin and death. And it is perilous. The illustration that he uses, I found in a series of sermons on the book of Romans, uh, the author of which died in 1960. But those books, uh, I really studied those sermons and made them a part of my life when I was a young man. And uh, he describes how Paul, being from uh, the city of Tarsus, uh, would have witnessed capital punishment if you committed murder uh, and was judged guilty, they would take the body of the corpse and strap it to your your back, shoulder to shoulder, leg to leg, and you'd walk about with that, that dying corpse on your back. And before long, the gangrene from that body, the decomposition was set into your body, and you would die a horrible death as a consequence of the murder that you had committed. That's the visual that Paul has in his mind, and he's feeling it in his spirit. I'm weighted down by that that thing, and oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this bondage? Is there a way out for me? I think about the peril of that, the principle of, 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 of the law of sin and death when it's operational in our lives, the devastating effect it has on us. I know I, I would, could, could cite probably at least a half a dozen names of my colleagues, pastor friends and teachers and mentors who... Uh, and an act of foolishness and of deception followed the lust of their hearts 
They violated their marriage vows, left their wives for another woman. And I'm not saying they're not Christian, but I'm telling you they paid a big price. They paid a price with their children. Children grow up, and those fathers don't have the respect that they would have had. They violated their wives and hurt them terribly. And uh, on and on the story goes, because what a man sows, he reaps. And when we sow to the flesh, when we sow to that fallen nature, we reap the consequences thereof. And what we discover through that is it, it breaks relationships. It produces shame and guilt. It uh, uh, makes us uh, 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 frustrated with life, and we're always searching, find, trying to find something that will satisfy the cravings of that fallen nature. And when we are serving that fallen nature and being led by it, there's never enough money. There's never enough sex. There's never enough power. It's just the way it is. And we suffer from it. Christians suffer from it. The Apostle Paul suffered from it. The peril, the peril of the law of sin and death. His heart cries out, who will deliver me from the bondage of this sinful nature? Who will set me free? And I think of the little dog, Barry. He wants to get the leash off so he can run and romp. Apostle wants to feel the joy of his salvation. He wants peace in his heart. He wants to find the place of wrath. And so he says, oh, thank God, he will, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Tuesday night, Todd and uh, Cheryl Courtney, along with Samantha and Jake, brought the two-week-old grandbaby over to see me. Beautiful little girl. And, you know, I held her here, snuggled up to her, and you see the little tiny fingers and the little tiny hands, and you just, something happens in your heart. And it took me back in time. And I remember when I held my little daughter, Allison, as she was an infant in my arms. And then along came Josh. Then came the grandkids. And probably two or three hundred babies that I've dedicated over the course of my life to the Lord. And when you hold those little ones, it takes your heart to a place. And I think about my affection for my kids. And when they're in a jam, I want to be there for them. I want to help them. I want to do the best I can for them. It's just in my heart. And you dads know what I'm talking about. You, you know, you know what rascals we've raised. And we know what rascals we are. But most of us have had parents that devoted themselves to us, and they cared. Bible says, Jesus said this, If you being evil as fathers know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to his children? You are a child of God. You've been born from above. You're a member of the family of God. And even though you have an old nature within you, it's just an awful thing. God is still radically committed to you, and he's going to do something on your behalf that's already be done, begun, and he's going to continue to that work until he comes again, or you're in his presence. So, there is a longing to be unleashed. 
from the perils of the law, sin, and death. Well, now, how will that happen? Well, we'll move over into the eighth chapter, and this is what we read. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, now, notice, there is, therefore, now. There's therefore now. There's therefore now no. There's therefore now no. There's therefore now no condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. How can he say that? How can I believe that? I can only believe that if I believe that I've been unleashed from the penalty of the law of sin and death. And that when Jesus went to the cross, he went in my place, he went in your place. And when he was raised from the dead, because he was holy and righteous and the grave could not hold him, he secured a righteousness for us who put our faith in him. It's called justification by faith. It's a legal act whereby God declares you to be righteous, not because of your works, not because you obeyed the Ten Commandments, but because you're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as your righteousness. It's imputed, which means it's laid to your account. It's deposited to your account. And it is so vast that it can never be exhausted. It's so full and complete that every sin that you've committed in the past, present, and future has been dealt with at the cross of Jesus Christ. And in, he has been vindicated because he was so pure and holy, the grave could not hold him, and up from the grave he arose. And he arose with a mighty triumph for his foes. And what is the great foe of Jesus? Well, it's Satan, the prince of the air, but it is also the law of sin and death that's active in my members. He has conquered that. He has purified me. He has purified you. So we stand before God as holy and as righteous as Jesus because we are in him and he is in us. So it speaks to us about a father's love, about the love of the father who moves on our behalf and gives us his son. And so uh, the mediation of Christ as advocate as the go-between between us and righteous, holy God stands today. And we have boldness to come to the throne of grace in the time of need, seeing that he ever lives to mediate for us. He advocates for us in heaven. I've been asked uh, at least a half a dozen times this morning, how are you and Anita doing? And for you who may not know, we discovered about a month ago that my wife has lymphoma, and she has a mass that's pressing against her sciatica nerve, and there's been intense pain with that. And it was 2007 when I had colon cancer surgery. It was 2012 when I had liver cancer surgery. And through those seasons, Anita was at my side, she was there for me. And now it's my turn to be there at her side, to be there for her. And I can tell you this, that the first two weeks, 
the news, there was gloom and doom. And we went to the dark place. I went to the dark place. What would life be like without my wife of nearly 62 years? What would life look like? What will I do with myself? And then, as God wonderfully does, he begins to work in our hearts. And we found ourselves looking a little more deeply at the scriptures in the morning. She in her place and I in my place. We found ourselves holding one another and praying, talking to God, lying at bed at night, talking about God and the goodness of his grace upon our lives. And I can tell you this morning, that's something wonderful has already happened. I don't know what the outcome of this will be, but I can tell you right now that we're experiencing probably the sweetest time we've ever had in our marriage. I'm not, I'm not snippy with her anymore. I'm not snarky. <laughs> I just let go of the small stuff because it doesn't really count. All that really matters is that woman. And she says to me at least a dozen times a day, I love you. And she's doing something that I always wanted her to do. She sneaks up behind me and kisses me on the cheek. I, I can take that. I like that. But it's called intimacy. It's called union. It's a lifelong time together. We're united. The Bible is so bold to call us the church of Jesus, the bride of Christ. He's the great husband of the church, and we are his bride. And he's devoted his life to us. He's laid down his life for us. And the Apostle Paul will say to husbands, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And ladies, you can be the bride of Christ to your husbands. You can teach them, treat them with dignity and respect. You can overlook their weirdness, their otherliness. And I can tell you this, you can never make a woman of a real man. Nor can you make a man of a real woman. God designed us to be male, and God designed us to be female, and we will always look at one another and wonder, what is that all about? I cannot think like a woman, and Nita cannot think like a man. We come from two different places. We see life differently. But God has ordained us to be male and female. He's designed us to be husband and wife. And we bring our strengths together. And in times of crisis, the greatest support you will find is in your mate who really loves Christ. We're experiencing that. So we've been unleashed from the penalty of sin. We've been unleashed from uh, uh, the, uh, the uh, uh, peril of sin that's been born for us in the cross and through Christ. And there remains one other thing for us to talk about, and that is that our heart's desire, we must find a way to be unleashed from the power of the sin and death. Of sin and death. So as we finish out those verses here, it says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set us free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened in the flesh could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, 
in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The Greek word for the Holy Spirit is paraclete. A paraclete is one who comes along beside to help. And so some translations read, the helper will come. And Jesus said, it's expedient that I go away, because not only am I going to prepare a place for you, but I'm going to send the helper, the one who comes along beside. When I think of helpers, I think of Bud Kennedy, who was my next-door neighbor in the city of Orange. A natural-born engineer, he was a mechanic, body and fender man. wasn't anything that was mechanical that Bud couldn't figure out. And so whenever I had a problem with my car, I'd roll up into Bud's yard, or he'd come over to my house, and he'd analyze it, and then he'd get his tools out, and I, I kind of was his faithful companion and assistant, and he'd help me solve the problem. On the other side was Ed Paulson. Ed Paulson was a, an electrician, and uh, I built, I built a, a, a bedroom on my house, and I did the concrete work, framed it, uh, wrapped it, put the roof on it, did the drywall, but before any of that, we had to have the rough electrical in. So, uh, Ed, could you help me? Ed came over, put a new service in my house, electrical service, wired the house, and he would volunteer at the church, both he and Bud. And when we had a building project going on there, they were always faithful. They always came. They were helpers. And I think of the many men and women throughout my life that have been helpers to me. But, you know, the law of sin and death has been a negative to me because I don't like to ask for help. I'm kind of stubborn, and I can figure this out myself. But when it comes to the law of sin and death, I can't figure that out. I can't conquer that in myself. I really need help. And so God sends the helper, the one who comes to help. Now, I want you to think about this, that this helper lives right inside of you. He indwells you. He also empowers you. He is the fuel of your life, if you will. He is the one who brings to you life and life more abundantly. God's Spirit living within you. It's God's Spirit coming upon you, gives you strength for your day, and takes you through the issues of life, and makes you strong in the Lord. And if you look back at this text, you'll see that it's Trinitarian. There's a triunity to it. Because we discover the vastness of the love of God, that he would act on behalf of such creatures as you and I. We see the love of the Savior, the mediation of the Savior, who is the Savior of the world, and especially to we who put our faith in him. Not only that, he's at the right hand of the Father in power and glory. And we can come boldly to the throne of grace because he is our great high priest who can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities because he's been there. He knows what the temptations and tests of this life are all about, and he's a ready help in the time of need. We have this incredible gift from God, the person called the Holy Spirit, who's come within and upon to perfect us and to make us like Jesus. And when he's done with us, We'll stand before the throne of God 
in the image of Christ. Even though we're old sinners, done so many wrong things, God has made us right with himself. And so glory and praise and honor arises from our hearts. And as we come to a conclusion of this sermon, it's fitting that we would share communion together. So let me get, give you a moment here to figure this cup out, okay? This takes an engineer's degree. One day we'll go back to crackers. <laughs> I could figure that out. <laughs> now, the object is for me not to spill this. I hold in my, my hand uh, this little wafer. In and of itself, it's insignificant, isn't it? It's kind of tasteless. <laughs> I don't even know what it's made out of. But I know what it represents. It represents the broken body of the Lord Jesus Christ. The high expression of God's willingness to provide redemption for me and for you. And when I eat it today, I'm testifying to his faithfulness and his grace and his goodness. So would you take your portion We'll lift it and we'll eat it together. Jesus took the cup. He said, this cup that you drank is a symbol of my body, blood that will be shed for you. And at Christ, as Christ was on the cross, he bled to death for you and me. And so we can sing today, what can wash away my sins? And we echo back, nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make us whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is that flow. It flows from Calvary. flows down through history. It flows to our time. And we are made right and cleansed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Before you drink, one more word, and the word is surrender. That's the hard word. But the only way that you can be free from the law of sin and death, so it doesn't shackle and chain you, is by surrendering to the Spirit of the Lord and say, here I am, I lay aside my right to myself. And by your grace and your strength, I will follow you. And so as we lift our cups, that's what we're saying. That's our commitment. So would you drink with me? One final prayer. Thank you, Jesus, for your broken body and your shed blood and your faithful to us. I pray, Lord, your blessing on Alex, the blessing on Sarah. Thank you that they could be with us today, and what a blessing they've been to us. Amen.